Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, where we believe that no matter what you've gone through in life, God is inviting you to partner with Him to take back your story. On this podcast, we have inspiring conversations with people who are doing just that. And now, your hosts, Davey Blackburn and Aubrey Sampson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm your host, Aubrey. And I'm Davey. And... Today, we have an incredible conversation with um, a, a new friend of ours. She actually mm-hmm. is a part of Hope Writers, which is, I know some, Aubrey, that's yeah. an organization you're also involved with as well, but Yeah, Clarissa and I Mall. was actually recently on her Instagram. We've been doing some fun stuff oh, together, so but cool. you go ahead, Clarissa Mall. Yes, Clarissa. She's an author, podcaster, and a young widow of her husband of 17 years, who was mm. also an author, which... That whole storyline weaves into her story. It's really that incredible. You're going to need her to incredible. hear to say this, yes. or hear her say this. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the, it just she has a very ama- just an amazing perspective on her loss. Obviously, wrestling through so much grief. Yeah. But the um, you know the 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 podcast that she helps to host is called Surprised by Grief, which is very appropriate to Nothing Is Wasted mm-hmm. Ministries. Um, yep. And she is releasing a book called Beyond the Darkness, A Gentle Guide for Walking with Grief and Thriving After Loss. And um, and so her her perspective on grief is amazing, especially since this, this was in 2019 that this happened. So this wasn't that long ago, but w- where the Lord has brought her in the past couple of years is amazing. I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, Davey, but I'm just thinking too, like just before COVID, all of this happened right. too, which is just so crazy. Right, right. And so, and, and we all know that COVID is like a, it feels like it's been a snail's pace the whole, the last two years, but also it's mm. like expedite. So it almost feels like yeah. we missed a couple of years. Right, right. So to, when I saw, when I've just kind of had conversation with her and experienced her countenance in this, I'm like, man, wh- where the Lord has brought you in such a short amount of time, time mm. is amazing. Mm. Absolutely. Amazing. Absolutely. I, I think our I think our listeners are going to be really blessed by her and her story. And again, I, I do want to emphasize the title of her book, Beyond the Darkness, A Gentle Guide for Walking with Grief and Thriving yeah. After Loss, because that's what I think is unique about Clarissa is she does bring a gentleness. Right. And um, nothing is wasted. You'll hear that as Davey talks with her in their yeah. conversation. Yeah. So if this podcast episode or any of our episodes ministers to you, why don't you take some time and rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts that really helps us a lot, um, as well as as encourages us, and it helps get this podcast into other people's line of sight so that mm-hmm. they can hear these incredible stories. Um, I can't tell you, I mean, Aubrey, I, over and over and over, I was just teaching a workshop this past week at a church where people come up and say, the stories that you're sharing on this podcast is unbelievable, and it's encouraged mm, me wow. in my deepest and darkest moments. Wow. And so we just want more and more people to experience these stories. And yeah, so you guys, as our community, help help get that out mm-hmm. there to as many people as possible. Help make this possible for um, more people to, to hear these inspiring stories of hope and healing. Yeah, so, that's so good, Davey. Yeah. And let's go ahead and take a listen to Davey's conversation with Clarissa Mall. Clarissa, it's so great to have you on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you know, um, we we have had, it's interesting, I'll tell the listeners this, we've had this conversation already, 
<laughs> and technology is just a, oh, it's a beast. And unfortunately, we were not able to recover this conversation. And I believe it's because after having a conversation with you, there was so much richness of what you were bringing forward out of your story that the enemy really does not want people to experience the healing that they can experience listening to this conversation. And so I would just tell you guys, as you're listening to this, man, get ready because Clarissa is just a wealth of insight and, and knowledge. And what God has brought her through is, man, it's just incredible. And so Clarissa, can we just start? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself right now? Um, I know we got connected through this incredible organization you're a part of called Hope Writers, but tell us a little bit about your life right now. And then we're going to do a, a deep dive back into your story. Sure. So Davey, I am a full-time writer. Never thought that I would be able to say that, but I am. I'm a full-time <laughs> writer and I write for a variety of different outlets from retail and financial services to my work at Hope Writers, uh, to the book that I have been working on and am ready to launch. So uh, I write at the intersection of faith and grief primarily nice. because of my own story of loss. But, uh, you know, I've, I've spent almost 20 years in lay ministry in the church, and I have a deep love for people, especially people who feel marginalized or hurting. And I find that uh, grieving people fit that category really, really well uh, when it comes to faith and just our, cultural in, our culture in general. So it's a gift to be able to write for them, to advocate for them through words. And um, I have a really good life. I, it's hard to be able to believe that I could say that after what my family and I have endured, but God is good. And uh, I've got four children, two rescue pups. I live in New England and love the winter here and love the summer. And uh, God is good all the time. Mm. And uh, I feel like my life up to this point has been a real testimony to that. Wow. Well, you know, you've experienced some horrific loss. And anytime that I know of someone's story and yet I, I see, first of all, see the joy and hope that you're exuding on your face right now. And here, my life is blessed. I know that they've been through a journey and they've been through a journey with the Lord because I understand it myself, right? That you experienced this thing that you would never wish on your worst enemy. You would never wish for your own life. And yet you come out on the other side of it and you go, wow. I, I don't know, and I say this very hesitantly, but I don't know if I would trade it either because of what the Lord has done in me through all of this. And I know there's a lot of people who are listening to this and you're not there. And I, and I would, Clarissa and I would probably both tell you that, well, we're not sure if we're there quite yet either. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and yet we're seeing God do something so amazing in our own hearts um, so I just love the fact that I'm seeing it on your face right now, Clarissa, like I can see the joy in you, but that joy has, um, man, that joy is you, you have been through so much to be able to experience that kind of joy. Um, so why don't you take us back to the beginning of your story and, and let's talk, um, a little bit about your journey. Sure. Well, in 2019, my husband, Rob and I decided that we wanted to take a cross country road trip. In the last year, we had moved from Seattle to Boston, and uh, we were both pretty homesick. And we thought, you know what? There's no better way than to cross the country, all four kids in the car and uh, with our dog, and just experience camping together in national parks and have this grand finale of being back home in Seattle and seeing our people, seeing these friends who had become like family to us in all the years that we'd lived there. 
Well, Rob's uh, capstone event for our trip, if you will, was to be a long ridgeline hike in Mount Rainier National Park. He was an avid hiker. He was a backcountry hiker. He knew what he was doing. And um, and it always thrilled me to give him a chance to be able to do this thing he loved. You know, he worked really hard at his day job. And he was a guy whose weekends were filled with Little League games and 4-H competitions. And for him to have a whole day just to celebrate being in God's creation just felt like a real gift to be able to offer him. Uh, the morning of July 19th, he set out from our camper at uh, 6.30 a.m. to meet his hiking partner for a day hiking in the backcountry. And I was really excited for him. I remember lying in the darkness in our camper and just telling him to have fun. I mean, that was, you know, it was don't wake up the kids, close the door quietly before you leave and have fun. And, you know, that was the last I ever spoke to him again. When Rob was hiking, he always had this plan. We had made this agreement together that um, I'm kind of a worrywart, I confess, and he didn't want me to be worried about him when he was out of cell phone range in particular. So he would set a time where he would call me when he got back to the trailhead. He would set a time where I could start to worry, and then after that, I could call somebody for help. But for all of the years that he had hiked and we had been married 17 strong, uh, we'd never needed to use the rescue plan, if you will. But that day on July 19th, uh, he didn't uh, call when he was supposed to get back to the trailhead. And I was worried, but it tamped down those fears because you don't think about the worst thing happening really happening to you. And I took my kids out to dinner, but that evening as dusk was settling at our campsite, 3,000 miles from home, a large white SUV pulled up to my campsite and two uniformed officers got out. Uh, they were chaplains from the local police department and they were there to give me the news that, that nobody ever wants to hear, um, that my husband had fallen to his death in Mount Rainier National Park, um, that he was gone and uh, that I was a widow and uh, we'd need to tell my children that their dad had died. You know, Clarissa, I mean, even as I, I, of course we've had this conversation before and I've heard your story and I've read your story and it, as you say it, just the, the shock of, of what I can only imagine that you felt, it just hit me, you know? This just like, wait, what? And I'm sure utter disbelief. What? If you're yeah, able I mean, to, I, can you describe? When I say what, it aloud. Yeah, describe what that moment when was When I like. say it aloud, I even, tears come to my eyes. I mean, it's been three years. And um, and when you reflect back to me about shock and, um, boy, I, I wonder if I still feel that yeah. to some extent. This disbelief that is this really my life? Is this really what happened to my marriage? Um, is this what's happened to my children? Uh, is this really a part of my story? And I wonder to some extent if if I'll always feel like that, yeah. you know, that there will be a piece of me that carries this sense of disbelief that the world really could be just this broken yeah. um, until I see Jesus again. Yeah, I 100% believe it because I'll have some of those waves of shock that just hit me out of nowhere as well, where I'm like, oh, yeah, I thought I was kind of out of that 
disbelief. You know, I thought I had come to terms with this, but then it'll just, it'll just hit you in a new wave and you're going, I can't believe this is my life and this is what happened to me. And, you know, um, it, this sounds really, this sounds really trivial and I, I don't mean it to sound this way. I mean it to more sound like a metaphor. I remember when I was, um, in first grade and I, had to go see the eye doctor because my eyes were bad. And I walked out of there with glasses and I couldn't believe I was the kid with glasses now. Like it was this, is this really my, my life? Like I'm going to wear glasses for the rest of my life, you know? And I'm not sure it took a little bit of time for me to kind of come to terms with that and get used to it. And of course now you're, we're talking about something on this scale, on this level with this gravity where it's like, how do you wrap your heart and mind around that, right? But even initially, you know, as you're receiving this news, what was that like for you? Well, I think your metaphor of the glasses is a perfect description. Um, there's this moment where uh, you feel numb, like your eyes haven't quite adjusted to the light, to uh, seeing through those lenses. And um they're your old eyes, as it were. And you look at your experience almost, I mean, the way I describe it is I felt like I was looking at myself in a movie. Like these yeah. are the things that happen on TV. This is not the kind of stuff that happens to ordinary people like me. Um, and so I think that that metaphor is really apt because it does take a while. It takes a long time uh, for the numbness to wear off, for the shock to wear off after uh, you receive traumatic news. And you know, an older widow who had befriended me months before Rob died uh, said to me later, she said, the numbness is a mercy. It's a mercy from the Lord that you can't feel it all at that one crushing moment. Because if you did, it would just destroy you. Uh, that it's a mercy from the Lord that he designed your body to not be able to take it all in in that moment. That slowly you have this emerging vision of what your life is, what it's becoming. Uh, your eyes adjust to those glasses over time in the same way that, you know, when you get a new prescription, the eye doctor says, wear these for two hours and then take them off because you'll start to get headaches. It's the same exact kind of experience with traumatic loss that it takes our hearts, our bodies, our minds a really long time to make that kind of seismic adjustment uh, to the news that we've received. Mm. Can you, as you're looking back on on that moment and even the immediate moments after a couple of weeks after, can you point to some ways that your, you know, your body, your heart, your mind was trying to adjust, but was was you know struggling to do so? What, what were some of the just kind of these big pivotal moments that you remember where you're like, this is, I mean, I don't know how to live through this. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, you know, there are the physical aspects. There is the exhaustion that it doesn't matter how much or how little you sleep, you're always tired. I mean, there's that kind of physical exhaustion as your brain and your body are doing major internal work. Uh, there's a sense of brain fog, like, where did I leave my keys? Um, what day of the week is it? Uh, you know, have I eaten dinner or not? Because your body may not even care to eat because it's in that kind of shock zone. Um, and then there's the emotional piece of it, the, the strange bursts of anger. 
that you feel in the numbness that you're, you know, you may lose your patience easily or, um, you find that you just can't stop crying, even though you feel like you can't fully feel it either. Uh, these are all such normal and natural physiological and emotional kinds of responses to uh, traumatic loss. Um, I think one of the things that people don't talk about, though, is the spiritual kind of responses that we have to loss. You know, as as Christians, we often think that when bad things happen, we immediately run to Jesus. And, uh, you know, we call on the Lord and we find comfort in His arms. But it's amazing how in that numbness, it's really hard to do some of those things. I remember talking to a widow friend of mine who said uh, she couldn't do Bible study after her husband died, and she was really frustrated about it. Well, our brains, when they're trying to wrap themselves around the information we've received, have trouble doing extra processing. And so it made sense that it was hard for her to read her Bible like she'd done before. When I think about how... um, how this initial, these initial months of and days of my loss affected me in those ways. I think about my inability to do things like read, uh, even pray. I found that really hard. But uh, one thing that came back to me in an amazing way um, was the words of hymns and worship songs. If I pull up my journal from 2019, you could open it and see lyrics of hymns just written down over and over again on the pages of my uh, my journal. I couldn't pray. I couldn't access new words. But deep in my heart, there were words that were just bubbling out, wow. words that I had sung for years and years at church, uh, words that I had sung as a child that came back to me. And I feel like that is a deposit of the Lord in me to have, even in that state of just um, utter, utterly being undone, that uh, God's words never return void. They were they were planted deep in there so that when my body literally couldn't take it all in, there was a source of comfort for me that was buried deep inside of me. And, um, you know, when I talk to widows now or other grieving people and they feel kind of bogged down about their spiritual life after their person dies, I say kind of like, go back to the base of the tree, go, go back to the things that you can't forget and, and feast on those things. There'll be a time for renewed Bible study. There'll be a time for intercessory prayer, but it might not be now uh, when your body is trying to wrestle with the news that you've received, but God is still has, he's planted things inside of you that are going to bloom in this season where you feel incredibly parched. Wow. That's so good. I love that, you know, as you refer to the power, the power of song, you know, the power of music to really move us, especially worship music or hymns or music that has a message that is going to, you know, the artists in that way. And, and it's similar to, to writers, right? As you know, you're able to put words to an experience that other people, they may not have the words for right then. I remember my, my father-in-law, my late wife's dad, he's a, you know, he's musical. He was a music minister for years and years and years. And he described it as I, I lost my song. Yes. And so other people had to sing for him, right? That, that kind of the, those lyrics, those words had to, had to be waves over top of him and through him and in him before he was able to find his own words and his own song to be able to to sing again. And, and, you know, it's similar to what you're describing right there. Some of these, 
more, um, you know, complicated uh, thought, you know, things that require a lot more um, uh, critical thinking and, and analysis, like Bible study and stuff like that, 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 that that's just, that's stuff that's not really going to be able to be manifested in that moment. But it's these, it's like the, the presence of God, those things that usher in the presence of God is what, what I find and what you're describing as you found is the, the initial uh, resources that you needed in the, in those moments. That's so good. Describe to me a little bit, you know, so you get this news from, um, you know, the folks that discovered this, the park rangers and, and um, uh, your kids are there as well. Right. Yeah. So how, how did that moment play out? I mean, and how did you handle that moment? I mean, I think that would be seemingly impossible to, you know, on one hand as a mom, I'm thinking you're probably thinking, how do I hedge this for my kids and shelter my kids from this news? And yet at the same time, you're going like, you don't see this coming. So but what, how did that moment play out for you? Yeah. You know, I, every mama bear instinct in me rose up yeah. <laughs> when I received that news. Like, how do I protect my kids? How do I tell them, you know, what is this going to do to them? I think that's just um, a mother's instinct to want to care for her little ones. And, um, you know, I talked through the chaplain with the chaplain about how we would um, how we would break the news to them, and uh, I was I was blessed to have guides in that way. Mm -hmm. Even then, I feel like the Lord placed He anointed those people for that moment mm -hmm. to be able to guide me into doing this hardest thing that I had ever done, um, because you know, as parents we can take bad stuff. We, you know, we, we're used to that, but to see our children hurt is just the ultimate pain. And, um, and so we did it together. And, you know, those moments, I actually don't talk about them um, when I talk publicly, but I'm really glad you asked because, you know, there, there are moments in each of our grief stories that are so painfully intimate. Um, that just feel like we are naked to the world and and so vulnerable to the real sin and death and uh, and evil forces that that exist in this broken world. Um, and yet, we also live in a culture that's really accustomed to telling it all. Um, you know, we love reality TV shows where cameras follow people 24-7. We get on social media and you get everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think that when you're grieving, it can feel like you want to tell somebody this, this thing that feels so uh, central to your story, to your life. And, um, and it can be hard to set boundaries around that. And to know, you know, who is a safe person to tell this piece of my story? Uh, when I talk to writers about writing their hard things, I'll often say, you know, like, write through it. You write all of this down, journal it, put it all on paper. You don't want to forget this. Right. But it may not be time to publish it, mm, and it right. might not ever be time to publish it, that's and right. that's okay. It doesn't mean that it's not valuable for you. And that's kind of how I think about those um, those first hours where I was with my kids and uh, they were learning the news. You know, for, for them, that will be their story to tell uh, if and when they choose, but it's a sacred space. Um, I also think of Mary, you know, the, the scriptures tell us that she 
hid things in her heart. And there are sacred dark moments from that night that I've hidden in my heart uh, that, you know, I'll never be able to push away and my kids won't either. But I hope that um, in that sacred keeping that God will even use those really painful places that I don't share somehow for his glory. Wow. Wow. That's so good. I love the distinction there because there are, you know, we, we live in a published culture, right? That even before we're able to process things ourselves, we're, we feel this temptation to publish it. And it's it, a lot of times it just becomes this regurgitated material, right? You're not, you're not really coming with anything that has substance or your own voice because you haven't processed it yourself and thought through it and done the, the difficult work of digging through some of these emotions and the insights that you draw from them and what the Lord shows you and stuff. And, and I love that you're drawing this distinction between, Hey, <clears throat> write it all down, process all of it. Right. And some of it may never be published. It's just, it may, does it, it wouldn't feel right. It would almost detract from the beauty of it to publish it, to share it, to tell other people about it. And that's really insightful, Clarissa, that, you know, that, that causes me pause to think about and go, wow, that, what is the parts of my story that are like, I know they're there. What is it that it's like, especially as you're helping other people and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to help carry them along the journey. That's part of helping other people is you're, you're saying, Hey, I, you know, I've been there. I've walked that. I want to relate to you. I want to empathize. And, and yet there are certain parts of it where you go, it's not quite, I don't want to, that's not, that's not, doesn't feel right doesn't feel right. Um, and so good for you for kind of de- determining that distinction in your own story. And then, you know, helping us with that to, and challenging us to do that as well in our, in our stories. Um, what's really interesting to me, and I know it, I don't want to say, I don't want to say ironic because that sounds, that sounds very, I don't know if it sounds very uh, dismissive almost and reductionist, but your, your late husband wrote a book called the art of dying. Yes. And <laughs> man, I just, first of all, explain that to me, but I also think that God writes things in our stories that we can draw from and we can go, wow, there is a, there is meaning to this, right? There's, there's hidden undercover meaning that, at the time we would not have known, but now we can see it differently. Right. Yeah. Can you, un- can you talk to us about what that, what he was putting forward in that book and then how your perspective on watching him bring that book to the world has, you know, has changed because of what you guys have experienced. Sure. Yeah. In uh, a decade before Rob died, he researched and wrote a book called The Art of Dying, Living Fully into the Life to Come. And uh, he was a Christian journalist at the time. He was a journalist for Christianity Today, reporting on the Terry Schiavo case uh, down in Florida, euthanasia. And, you know, swirling in Christian and larger culture were these questions about death with dignity. What did uh, it mean to die well? What uh, were the boundaries that families and or the medical profession should set when making these decisions about um, quality of life, quality of care, uh, palliative measures, that sort of thing. And as he uh, researched and wrote, it was deeply disturbing to him that uh, it seemed like Christians didn't have a really good sense of 
what what we should do. Uh, and so he, in his in his uh, journalistic kind of way, dove deep. He began working at a funeral home on the night shift, uh, and he volunteered as a hospice uh, volunteer, sitting with folks who were dying uh, on the weekends. He would do that. And he just wanted to get close to understand how we could do this better as a church, how we could support families who uh, were caregiving for a dying person, how we could come alongside someone who is dying and really give them meaningful care. And then, of course, uh, how we could care for people after their loved ones had passed away. And I'll be honest, I did not like it. I remember sitting in a little cafe and talking to uh, an, another author who was well-seasoned and saying, you know, is, the, is there even a market for this? Mm. <laughs> who wants to read a book about death? Uh, wow. and you were doing so some, a lot of like the informal editing, right, for him. You're, you know, yes. you're reading some of his manuscript and stuff too, right? Wow. <laughs> Well, and, and I'm so glad that he didn't listen to his wife, that he went ahead and did it. You know, I edited that book from cover to cover. It was a joy to work with him on it. And uh, his book, The Art of Dying, set set a course, really, for how Christians could re-envision what it meant to die well, drawing on scripture and on church traditions that were so deep and meaningful. And uh, here he did this amazing work. And, you know, it stood for a decade. It served folks well in churches and in seminary classes, personal reading. And then he died in 2019. And suddenly I am the wife, the one who's resistant to talking about death and dying, who doesn't want to think about a world where her husband isn't in the picture. And I'm holding these words that he wrote and realizing that in so many ways, he wrote them for me. Wow. You know, above my desk here, I have on uh, my bulletin board a quotation that I've actually printed out and laminated from his book, The Art of Dying. It says, I love her, and I know she will make wise decisions if I'm no longer able to be at her side. Wow. And it's from, I think, page 85, page 88 of that book. It makes me tear up even to read it aloud. Wow. Because I realize now that this, these conversations that I begrudgingly participated in, this, uh, this subject that I wanted to run away with, uh, away from, like you know, most of our culture and even some folks in the church, um, this was his love letter for, to me. This was a letter saying, when we learn to die well, we learn to live well. Okay, Clarissa, I want you to go do it now. Wow. And... Uh, it's the hardest commission I've ever been given, and um, mm. I hate to receive it, and yet, how could I not from the man that I love? Mm. Man, that's so good. That's so rich. I mean, you, when we learn to die well, we learn to live well, because, I mean, this is death. I mean, I, I read Heaven by Randy Alcorn after mm -hmm. uh, my, my late wife passed. It was really helpful for me, but I think some of the things, I think this was in Heaven. It might have been in a different book, but I pretty sure it was in he kept talking about how you know death is not a departure it's a homecoming and you know like trying to shift our perspective on death as believers that we see through it in a different lens especially as paul's letter to the church in thessalonica talks about that right that we're we don't grieve as those is it in Thessalonians? maybe it's in first maybe it's in corinthians uh, um, i think it is I first think, thessalonians yeah yeah, and we don't grieve as those who don't have hope, right? That we we grieve differently, and because we see death through a different lens, 
And this is the culmination of this life that we have been stewarded, right? It's this like critical moment where we are now about to stand in front of our creator and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, you know, even that last moment right there is, is kind of the, I don't say, I can't say it in a, in a different word. It's a culmination of all the other of rest of what we have done with our life. And, uh, and to look at death differently. I mean, what a profound thing. And then what a gift for you to be able to have this, like you said, almost this letter to you affirming to you, Hey, she's going to be able to move forward. She's going to be able to make wise decisions. Even if I'm not by her side, like, I mean, that had to have felt so just, uh, I mean, affirming and, 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 and warm for you to, to be able to read this again and go, wow, this is, I feel, man, I can move forward in this. Yeah. Yeah. After he died, in fact, I, went home from those funeral services and I took that book off the shelf and I went and I read it looking for me. And I know, I mean, you know, it was entirely selfish. Like, okay, I know he put stories about us in here. What did he say about us? You know, it had been 10 years. What is is he saying to me now? And um, yeah, I feel like it's a real treasure to be able to possess those words. And beyond that, to see how... um, how they can care for other people. You know, you talk about death um, being different when you're a Christian. And, um, you know, I, I I feel some tension about that, having lived through a, a traumatic loss that um, I can't only say it's a homegoing. Uh, mm. You know, it's, it's a beautiful homegoing, but it's also a result of the curse. Yes. And so as much as... Um, as I rejoice that Rob is with the Lord now, that he is uh, content and satisfied in the arms of Jesus, I also rage against death. Uh, it is, you know, the last evil that will be conquered when Christ right. comes again. And so there is that tension for the believer that, um, you know, we don't want to veer on the side of those who have no hope, that we despair because of the brokenness that's around us in the world. But we also don't want to veer on the side of those whose hopefulness clouds the reality of what exists in this yeah, world. That's so good. Uh, that when we offer comfort to others, we we fall into platitudes of you know, don't cry, she's in heaven, or um, it's okay, he's with the Lord now. Those things are true; they are the bedrock of our yeah. faith. Right when we lose our person but they are in no way diminishing right. the the true evil and the hurtfulness of what began in the garden and right. what will uh, finally be conquered when, um, when Jesus comes again. That's so good. That's so good. You almost think that people have to come to that kind of discovery for themselves. The Lord has to lead them on that journey. You can't short, right. short circuit that for them, right? Even though you're trying to offer some kind of comfort, you're trying to offer something that's going to assuage that pain it's it's not going to it's going to like what you said it's going to diminish the reality of the grief that they're feeling in that moment and they and they need to walk that journey we all need to walk that journey of grief to to get to a place where the lord meets us and he takes us on this journey to discover you know his heart for his children his heart for you know our repurposing this and in our eternity 
Yeah, that's why I love you, the way that you talk about pain to purpose. Uh, you don't talk about necessarily pain to healing because we know that the healing that we await is eternal, right? right. That there is, uh, but but we can take our pain and we can transform it to purposeful living. Right. And um, and that lessens it. It lessens the burden of the pain that we carry. And uh, and we t- it turns it, redeems it, transforms it into something that the Lord can use. That's so good. We're, we, are, we are in the process of healing, but we will never be fully healed and whole until we, you know, are, are we are fully glorified, right? That's until right. We, until we have that, you know, that moment, that culminating moment where we walk through death, the final evil, and... And, and then, you know, our, our bodies are, our, our everything is, is fully glorified, man. That is Clarissa. This is okay. This is why the audio is corrupted because we're, there's just, <laughs> we're going places we haven't gone yet. Okay. That's right. Can you point to me that that was a critical moment? I'm sure where you were going back and reading his book, were there other critical moments for you where it was like, as we talk about this idea of like, Hey, we're, we're healing, but we're not fully healed where you can point to and go, Hey, this really helped to be a salve for my soul you know, and, and it started to help, it started to, to, to bring me along on a journey of healing. Yeah. Well, about um, four or five months after Rob's death, we were settled back into the school routine here in Boston and uh, trying to muddle our way through, create new rhythms. And it just, it was like walking through quicksand mm. to try to figure out how we were going to live um without him, uh, how I could be the breadwinner for our family, how I could manage chauffeuring my kids to all of their activities, how we could maintain what we'd had before. And I realized I can't do it. I can't, I can't keep this old life on life support as it were. I can't do this on my own. And I began looking uh, around on the internet, just wildly, you know, sort of randomly searching for what do I do now? Uh, because I had no idea how to chart a path forward. And I read a study on post-traumatic growth mm. and it was like a light bulb came on. I was like, yeah, that's it. That is what I want. I want to turn this pain into purpose. Yeah. I want, uh, we talk about nothing being wasted. Right. Um, I want to make sure that I don't allow this experience to calcify me, to mm. just turn me to stone. You know, we've all seen people like that, right? In our lives who they go through something hard and it hardens them. And I don't want that to happen in my experience with grief. I want want my loss to just break me open Mm. for it to make me more compassionate, for it to make me more passionate about the things that matter. And uh, and this study on post-traumatic growth did it for me. It, it just was that moment where I thought, okay, that's what I'm headed toward. And you know, as I as I've lived with grief for a long time, I see, oh, that's what the gospel's talking about. <laughs> you know, you didn't need a you didn't need a research study. That's what that's what God used as a catalyst for you. But this is this is the work that God is in the business of doing. Right. Um, you know, from our very cells, we're built for resilience. You know, he's designed our bodies to recover. You think of those athletes who push themselves really hard and they push themselves to the limit and beyond. And then they take a day of recovery. Mm. Uh, They can't just 
exercise constantly, there's got to be space for rest because in rest comes renewal. So we know that God has designed our bodies for resilience. And then beyond that, he offers us resurrection. It's, you know, resilience is something that we sort of like work with God on. You know, we, we point our bodies in that direction. We eat, we sleep, we take care of ourselves in relationships and physically as, um, as modes to that kind of resilience. But resurrection, that is entirely his gift alone. And he offers that to us. That is the post-traumatic growth that is, is available to us as believers. And, um, and so from that time on, that has been my goal. How do I allow this grief to form me? How does the love that I carry for my husband um, inform the way I live now? How does it make me a better person? How does it um, shape the person that I'm becoming? And and where can I allow this loss to be a place of um, of purposeful ministry? I think so that um, so that there's someone else out there who can know you're not alone in what you're experiencing. God is with you when you feel that it's darkest. He will be there with you, walking beside you. You know, if 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 I can tell one person that there's some growth there, that, that grief hasn't been wasted. Yeah, That's so good. And what, what you're saying is something, you know, we say this often that you're, you don't have to wait till you are healed. Cause as we established earlier, you're not going to be fully healed. You don't have to wait till you're healed before you begin partnering with God in a redemptive process for your story. And that is helping other people, right? That's, that's right. repurposing the difficult parts of your story. You can, yeah, Henry Nowen talks about it as the wounded healer. That's it. You know that this is this is our posture as a wounded healer. And a friend of mine who is a therapist, she said, you know, when I think about the kind of peer support that exists for folks, um, I think in grief and in addiction, there is nothing that can compare mm-hmm. to someone who's experienced it and can walk alongside of you through that's it. So, um, so I think that's a real place where where the suffering that you have endured can can be become fruitful ministry. Right. And what's amazing is you'll start to see, you become like a, a magnet, right? For people who are walking <laughs> the same journey that you're walking. It's wild. Even if, and this is so, this is so supernatural and providential. Even if you never post anything or publish anything like what we've said about your grief journey, all of a sudden you'll encounter these people who have, who are walking through the same thing you've walked through. And you're like, what in the world, you know? And that is yes. completely divine. It's completely God ordained. Um, and now you're able to minister out the, the richness of what you're, what you've walked through. Mm-hmm. Clarissa, do you, can you by chance hear my kids? I don't, uh, uh-uh, no. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. Oh no, it's okay. I, I have the same issue. You know, we, I can hear them. <laughs> <laughs> we record right above me is all of my kids and they're all running around and stuff. I'm like, yeah, I hope, I hope nobody, I hope this doesn't pick up on the microphone <laughs> here. I'm going to knock on the wall just to, you know, the, the, the ultimate threat. There it is. There, it there is. we go. They're like, mom's oh, recording. No. Oh no. That's so funny. So funny. <laughs> um, along those lines of, of this, you know, taking part in and actually initiating this repurposing, uh, you know, I, I you say initiate, it's probably not the right word. You're, you're responding to an invitation, right? Instead of initiating the Lord initiates this, right? He's like, Hey, I want to, I want to repurpose this. I want to, I don't want this to be wasted, but we have to respond to that invitation. We have to partner with him in that you're doing some of that, 
right? Obviously with some of your writing, you're also, you're also co-hosting a podcast, right? Surprised by grief. Can you talk to me about how some of these things for you, how they have helped you in, you know, just to kind of as an addendum to what we've just been talking about, how these practical things, having this podcast, doing some writing, um, helped you as you're, as you're finding healing for yourself and as you're helping other people? Well, grief is, it's so unique, you know, it, it's a universal experience. You know, there's mm-hmm. nothing that doesn't touch us like death and taxes, right? right. We're, we're all going to experience grief at some point, but it's painfully unique. Um, there are so many moments where you just feel like no one can understand the thing that you're experiencing. And I don't think that's only limited to the first year after your loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, whether you um, whether it takes you five years to move out of the house that you shared with your spouse, or, um, you know, it's been 10 years since you lost a child, there's still this sense of um, you're going to interact with experiences, with people, you're going to have events that provoke those feelings of grief that make you feel incredibly alone. Yeah. And uh, and one of the ways that my work has been an unexpected gift is to offer me those companions along the way. You know, I, I don't attend support groups now, I lead them. And um, I, I don't read grief support materials for myself anymore, I write it. And yet there are moments where grief overwhelms me, where I see my child have a need and I think, gosh, I just wish he were here now because he would do this so much better than I would. Or, you know, every little girl should have her daddy to fill in the blank. And, uh, or, you know, I long for his wisdom in some way. And I realize that that grief is always there. It's always, it's, it's integrated into who I am now. And it helps to have people at all points in the journey to keep pointing your feet toward hope, to keep reminding you of the truths that you know in your head, but need to somehow travel down into your heart to find a place of peace. And I find that through all of these kinds of things that I do now, I, um, you know, it feels cliche to say, I feel like I'm blessed more than I'm blessing others. Mm. But I, I feel that many times that the folks who write to me, who share their stories, you know, it's such an honor to um, to hear from them. I write back to every single one mm. because there's nothing worse than um, sharing something painful right. to a deaf ear. And, um, and it's an honor that folks would feel comfortable sharing their stories with me because it's been vulnerable to share my story with other people. And yet it's when we do that, when we step beyond that isolation and the intimacy of our own grief, that we can really make connections that I think pull us out of the mud when we're having a hard day, that motivate us to keep going when we feel discouraged, and ultimately are are what the body of Christ is supposed to do, right? It's, it's we need the hand, we need the foot, we need the head, we need the ear. And it's when people come together as the hurting people of God that the body can actually do really amazing things. That's so good. That's so good. Well, what would you say though, if someone who's listening to this, they're like, well, I haven't, I haven't experienced your particular journey. I'm not a, a young widow or Davy, I'm not a young widower. Like how, and yet there's people around me who are hurting. They are experiencing that journey. I want to show up for them. I want to be, 
there for them. I know that's the right thing to do. And I also, my heart's breaking for them. How do I do that? You know, do I have to have experienced what you've experienced in order to have that kind of empathy? Well, I don't think you do. I think that, um, first our connection in Christ offers us acquaintance with his sufferings. Mm. And if you have, if you know Christ, then you have some acquaintance with his sufferings. So mind your own heart and your experience. Where have you suffered loss? Not as a way to try to compare or, um, or try to evaluate whose loss is worse or or easier, but as a way to to acknowledge that you don't live a perfect life either. And when you acknowledge your fallenness, your brokenness, it's much easier to reach out with the kind of love and care that you would want to receive if you were in that particular situation. I think too that um, that when you're trying to take care of someone who's hurting, it can be hard to know exactly what to do. Like, what do I say? What should I bring? Um, Should I do anything at all? And uh, I saw this beautiful image floating around on uh, social media about these circles of intimacy uh, that surround a person after a loss. And this doesn't have to be a loss of a loved one. This could be a diagnosis of a chronic illness. This could be a, a really difficult job loss. This could be alienation from a child uh, or some kind of relational struggle. You know, there are those people in the center who are intimately acquainted with your pain. And those people, they can speak uh, firmly to you when you need that firmness. They can uh, offer exhortation and sometimes rebuke if you need it. But, you know, they can they can say things that nobody else can. And, uh, and each person who's grieving, whatever kind of loss, if it was suffering, they need those people in their life. And then you evaluate, okay, am I that person or am I the next circle out of those folks who would say, I'm a good friend, but I don't have that kind of intimacy. Okay. That's when I'm going to offer practical care. I'm going to commit to praying for this person. I'm going to make sure their lawn is mowed all the time so that they don't have to think about the child who's left the house and doesn't want to call anymore and used to mow the lawn. I'm going to do those things for that person because there are ways I can be helpful um, that aren't necessarily super emotionally intimate, but are felt deeply as gifts of love from, uh, from the person who is grieving. And then there's sort of like the large circle of everybody else, your community. This might be your congregation or, um, you know, your your kids' baseball team. Those are the folks who start the GoFundMes and the fundraisers and, and uh, organize, you know, clothing drives and meal trains. And those things are super important. I never want to diminish that because you find yourself in that outer circle of acquaintance, that your gift is no less valuable right. to the person who's grieving. Uh, it just acknowledges the intimacy of that relationship. And I think when you're trying to figure out what do I do, where do I fit into um into this relationship with this grieving person, those circles can be really helpful to uh, to guide you as you try to say the right thing yeah. and do the right thing. And you know, with the caveat, of course, that we're all fumbling our way, right? Exactly. We're all trying our best to love, yeah. to be become fluent in words of consolation, and we are not perfect. That's right. But something, someone showing up imperfectly is always better than somebody who does nothing. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good to remember. I mean, it's it's interesting. I remember 
I remember doing a, a funeral. I, I, I don't know. I officiated a, a funeral. Right, man, it was uh, five months after my wife was killed. And so I mean, that, that hit hard, right? And I'm like, oh, I, and yet there was something that, that my, my mind told me I, sh- I should have known what to say. And yet I was, I was terrified because I didn't know what to say. And it caused me to realize, hey, the reality is, is none of us, it doesn't matter how much of an expert on this we may seem, none of us knows what to say. We we're like, uh, we're fumbling around. So be encouraged by that. Right. (laughs) There there are no experts in this field. No, because it's, you know, when you're, when you're trying to walk with someone else in this really deep space of grief and, 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 and it's a very human, um, experience. It is, it is not easy. And yet that circle that you just shared is so helpful, right? What a, what a very helpful resource for us to be able to identify where am I in relation to this person and how can I show up best for them? And that's where we're always pointing people to Jesus, right? right. Because nobody is good at this Mm. except for the one who we're told in scripture was acquainted, was good friends in Hebrew with sorrow, who uh, carried our grief bore our burdens, bore our sorrows, like he actually gets it. Mm. So, you know, when no one else in your life understands, when you even feel like as a vessel inadequate to communicate a sense of understanding to a hurting person, just give them Jesus. Just, you know, put Jesus there in the front because uh, Jesus is the one who gets it. Mm. And, um, and in his presence and in his care, um, that's a place where a person who feels so isolated and, um, and unknown can find themselves known in, uh, in sharing with his sorrows and also comforted in the knowledge that, um, that not only, does he know you? He's going to walk with you through that shadow. Mm, that's so good. That's so good. Okay. This, this in, in conjunction with all of this, this kind of occurred to me and I'd like for you to evaluate this statement that I'm about to make. Okay. Or, or this thing I'm about to describe. So I feel like that if, if I encounter someone who has walked through the same thing that I have, that it is very helpful for me to say, Hey, I have also lost my wife. Let me tell you my story. Or, you know, for instance, we, you know, we do these widower retreats and there was someone there this past time whose wife had been murdered. And it was so, I felt like, you know, I even felt it reciprocated. It was so helpful for him, for me to say, Hey, listen, my wife was murdered. It's almost like he, he was like, Oh, somebody gets it. However, I find quite the opposite if I encounter someone or I'm having a conversation with someone who's walking a different pain journey, right? I find that it's not helpful because they're, because it's like, well, you don't really understand my pain or my loss. What's most helpful is for me to just say things like, I am so sorry. There are no words. Uh, I love you. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. Give them a hug, right? Be present, 
Would you say that that's accurate on your, I'm literally just, it's just occurring to me as we're having this conversation, but I'm realizing that I fumble around when I try to say like, oh, hey, well, here's my story to someone else who has a totally different story. But, it, and yet it's very helpful. It almost gives me immediate street cred with this person if they had the exact same story. And I'm like, hey, let's, I can walk with you in this, you know? What would yeah. you say? Oh, I, I entirely agree. You know, I'm training to be a Stephen minister, which is a parachurch yeah. organization designed to um, to equip lay ministers, basically, for uh, for this kind of support to walk with people uh, after other folks have moved on. And uh, and this is one of the things we talk about regularly in our conversation of, of what's the boundary between sharing too much of your story and sharing just enough? Um, when do you say? hey, I've got something in common with you here. And when do you keep that a little closer to the chest? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just being in relationship with that person, knowing, okay, you know, I do have a lot in common with this person, so I don't think it would offend them. Uh, I think another way to do it is to simply ask, mm -hmm. hey, you know, I've had a similar but sort of different circumstance. Would it be helpful if I shared that? Mm, and to just good. offer that as an opportunity. Yeah. You know, a person is always uh, able to say, no, I just really need you to listen to me right now. Yeah. And, um, but that kind of transparency and conversation, I think can be a helpful guide. Uh, if you can't necessarily read their body language to tell, if you don't know them all that well, um, that can be an opportunity to just be overt about it, to, to bring that awkwardness forward forward and acknowledge that you don't have similar grief stories, but you want to be helpful, yeah. but you also don't want to be hurtful. And you're, you're aware that, um, that words of helping can sometimes hurt. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that honesty goes a long, long way That's with right. people. You know, when I think about, uh, folks who said hurtful things to me after my husband died, in general, they were people that didn't know me that well. Yeah. And, um, didn't really understand what I was going through. Um, and the people in my life who said some hurtful things that were closer to me, I was able to forgive those things a lot more easily because I knew they loved me. And that establishment of relationship, I think, is an important piece of of that sort of communication that helps and doesn't hurt. Wow, that's so good. That's so good. You know, Clarissa, um, it's obvious. it's obvious why you have this book coming out because of what we've just heard from you, but you, you do, you have this book coming out, out called um, Beyond the Darkness, A Gentle Guide for Walking with Grief and Thriving After Loss. You know, obviously I even just lean in on this idea of walking with grief, right? It's, there's this, there's this, uh, as you've said, integration of grief into your life now that it's something that you're carrying as you go. But, you know, this is, this is going to be such a helpful resource for people. What is your hope in this as a, as the reader picks this up, as every one of our listeners picks this up, no matter what you're experiencing, you're experiencing in pain, you're experiencing some sort of grief. So every one of us should pick this up and read it. What is your hope for us as we do, as we start thumbing through the pages of it? Well, the book boils down to two main thoughts mm -hmm. that grief will walk with you your whole life and that your savior will too. Wow. And when I think about what I hope for people as they read Beyond the Darkness, it's a sense that 
I can do this, that this, this isn't five stages that I've got to work through as some sort of performance test for how uh, resilient I am or, you know, how much I can man up. Uh, this is a companion that's going to walk with me that signals to the brokenness of the world, but I can do this. I can walk with grief because Jesus walks beside me. Uh, you know, I'll often talk to folks who are grieving who say, I can't imagine how people do this without knowing Jesus. And really, I, I don't know either. Um, because if grief is a companion that we hold with one hand, we know that Jesus is always upholding us, mm -hmm. that he carries us, that he walks beside us, behind us, before us. And uh, with that kind of companionship, it's amazing the trials that you can endure, the suffering that you can endure, and the growth that you can experience in and amidst your suffering. Wow, that's so good. That's so good. Clarissa, this has been wonderful to be able to have this time with you. I'm so glad that we had a second chance to be able to document this conversation. And um, man, I just, I appreciate so much what you're doing and how you're repurposing your pain. You know, all of these things that you're saying um, are things that, that is, it's so close to the heartbeat of the ministry of nothing is wasted. And I know it's going to impact everybody who has listened to this. How can we follow along with your journey and what you're doing? Where can we find you? Certainly. Well, uh, you can look for Beyond the Darkness wherever books are sold, wherever you're uh, you're buying your books these days. Look for Beyond the Darkness. I I, I read the audiobook too, which was yeah. a special gift. So if you're more of an audiobook fan and and you don't mind the sound of my voice, I'd love to read it to you. Uh, that would be a special treasure as well. And I'm always available at clarissamall.com or on Instagram. Uh, it's where I hang out. It's my happy place to mm -hmm. interact with folks, to answer their questions, to let them know that they're not crazy, that they're going to get through this and that they're not alone. So I'd love to have you join me in any of those ways. That's great. That's great. Thanks so much, Clarissa, for spending time with us and really ministering to our community. We appreciate it so much. Thank you, Davey. Davey, I love Clarissa so much. I yeah. She's one of those people I've never met her in real life. We have talked, you know, online before, but I feel like she's one of those people who everyone wants to be her best friend because right. she's so empathic and right. compassionate and kind and gentle. And um like you said earlier, so much wisdom for still being in really the thick of her grief. Yeah. Just just a couple years ago losing her husband. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I was going to say that I appreciate about Clarissa and her, her message really is she's not, she's trying to remain hopeful and, and have yeah. people experience God's presence in pain, but she's not trying to say the point is you get over your grief and now you're healed and you're fine and then you move right. forward. But, but she is saying there can be meaning, there can yeah. be purpose, there can be something that God does in the pain, even if you don't experience total healing from it, right. this side of heaven. And I think that's a refreshing message. Absolutely. I, I think so too. I, one of the things that drives me crazy is when people, whether it, unwittingly, they don't, I mean, they don't know sometimes, but they'll say phrases like moving on or mm. getting over. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure they mean well. What they mean is, is that you're, you're moving forward or you're, right, you're not stuck. Yeah. And, but there is a, those, those of us who have experienced 
any kind of loss, whether it's loss of a loved one or a friend or loss of a dream or a major disappointment, you've mm-hmm. had to sort through grief. You realize there are things that you're going to, as Clarissa says, you're going to carry this. Yeah. And you don't carry it with as, it's not as fresh of a wound anymore. Mm-hmm. That's so true. But you're going to still be there. You know, there's triggers that are going to come up. There mm-hmm. are things that are going to arise that are going to remind you mm-hmm. of the pain, but you don't feel the pain in the same way that you did in the beginning stages of it. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's important to delineate that, that we, we will be one day fully healed. Yeah. We will be. I love what C.S. Lewis says that everything uh, wrong that happened or everything painful that happened in our life would be rendered untrue. Mm, I don't, I don't know if there's any better way to be healed than to like, all of a sudden it's rendered like, this isn't true anymore. This Mm, is not so good. It's been completely reversed because of the power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Mm. we'll realize that one day we have a hope that we can look forward to in that, Yeah, but we're not there right now. Right. And at the same time, we're able to heal and keep healing uh, to the extent that it's not going to get us paralyzed or stuck, yeah. but that it can be repurposed for some really yeah. good things in this world. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's such a good word for everyone in grief. I was thinking about Clarissa's husband died really similar to the way my cousin Cameron died in a hiking right. accident yep. as well. And I remember after his passing, and he was not my husband, obviously, but we were very, very close, and it yeah. was a, a, just a terrible terrible grief. I can remember like making waffles, just literally putting like Mm. ego waffles in the toaster and thinking I am a changed person making waffles right now than I was a few months ago. Like, and I don't know what it was about that, but something about the making waffles, I'm sure it has something to do with like growing up with him and having waffles together. But like Mm. that began, that was such a trigger for me. But then soon it was like, no, I, Yes, I am a changed person making waffles. Like I'm a different person making waffles today than I was yesterday. Right. But I can make it sounds so silly to say this. I can make waffles now without sobbing. Right. That pain is still there. I still miss Cameron deeply, but that that I can like do the task that needs to be done that day without quite as much freshness. Yep. And I and I I mean that's kind of a silly mundane thing, but I think that's grief. It's in yeah. the it's in the seemingly mundane things where grief shows up in just powerful ways. Right. But what you're saying is so true. There can still be in something that feels so purposeless, you can find purposes you learn how to like minister to others and find God's presence and yeah. and trust that God is doing something as he brings you to that one day yep. when you're experiencing healing in whole. Yeah, in it's whole. it's really cool and at the end of Genesis, Joseph talks he kind of comments on this a little bit in the naming of his sons. He names them Ephraim and Manasseh. And Ephraim means um, uh, forgotten. Or I, and he basically mm. says, because I have forgotten or the Lord has made me forget my pain. And Manasseh mm. means because the Lord has made me fruitful in this land. Wow. And so I think those two things like correlate with each other that there's an element of you don't forget the, the crisis, the tragedy, the trauma that you walk through. Right. But, but you, yeah. you almost, you almost, uh, in some ways you almost forget how unbearable the pain was mm, yeah, because of how the fruit that's being birthed out of this. Yeah. Yeah. Similar to how I, you know, I've 
understood women to describe pregnancy sometimes, right? Like mm-hmm. this yeah. unbearable pain of bringing right. it to bringing this child to the into the world. Right. You don't forget that everybody's got their story. Yeah, friend of ours just had a baby, and we're like, "Tell us the story, right?" And she's recounting <laughs> the story. You don't. For- yeah, but there is something that I don't counterbalances that, or I don't know what mm-hmm. in the new life that is produced there Absolutely. that would actually make you go, "Hey, I want to go do that again." I'll do this again. <laughs> like, yeah, what? this is there's there's enough there. Yeah, I mean, literal fruit. There's enough fruit from the labor from the from that all oh, that terrible physical suffering that yeah. like this is worth it which is a wild thing to say yeah. and i think only people who have hope in christ can say something like that in the face of such evil uh, losing your spouse so unexpectedly like yeah. Carlos did that's only one of those paradoxes of right. the goodness of god right right and and i wonder to uh, i'll say this as kind of a, a closing remark on this I think it's remarkable that she was able to go back and, you know, she was a part of the the editing process of her husband's book and all of that. And she was Mm. able to go back and read that with a new lens. But this idea of like how to die well, it already puts inside of your spirit, this idea that, okay, one day we're going to be somewhere else. Like how do we, how do we come to this place of where our final moment is, is done in good stewardship where the the Lord looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant, even in those final Mm. moments. Mm, even the thing baby. that most of us fear the most. Yeah. And I think even just that journey for them had to have prepared her to be able to see things in a different light, which, mm-hmm. which uh, informs how she's walking through it right now, mm. you know? Mm. So um, now Clarissa has got a book coming out here soon. I want to make sure that your yep. attention is drawn to that beyond the darkness. I know it's coming out in July at this point that we're recording this and releasing this It is not July yet, but you want to make sure that you go ahead and jump on this as soon as there is a pre-order opportunity for this. Yep. Uh, again, beyond the darkness, a gentle guide for walking with grief and thriving after loss. And we'll put everything in the show notes here of where you can follow Clarissa, where you can find out more about what she's doing. Um, yeah. While you're searching around, you should also go to our new uh, relaunched Nothing Is Wasted community platform. This is so exciting. Tell the people about it, Davey. It is so exciting because so many of, I've been astonished at how many of you guys, hundreds of you guys are flocking to this community. Uh, it's really cool to see the conversations that are happening. I've got all of my notifications on. So every morning I'm seeing some of the conversations that are happening and it's very awesome. encouraging. Um, the other thing too is uh, we have just, released our first, we did our first live masterclass. Mm-hmm. Over 180 of you guys showed up for that. Well done, everybody. Amazing, which is that's awesome. So cool. And it's not about, listen, I mean, we look at those numbers and we go, wow, that's really, really cool. But what that means is over 180 of you guys are leaning into your pain and leaning into mm. your trauma and hearing from some of these experts that we're mm. putting out there for you guys so that you're deciding, I want the Lord to to, I want to, I want to follow the Lord in this. I want to, I want the yeah. Lord to step into my pain yeah. and to do a healing work in me yeah. in the same way that has happened in Clarissa and the same way that hap- has happened in so many of our guests. And so I want to encourage you to head over to that community. You're going to find out, not just connect with other people who are walking through the same thing as you, but you're also going to uh, be privy to all the different things that we're offering there. And there's, there's new ones coming up. Aubrey, you're going to be leading a masterclass here in a, 
maybe a couple months, I think, or several weeks or something. Uh huh. Yeah, That's I'm exciting. so excited. We're gonna we we don't spoil it, but we are gonna <laughs> encourage you, empower you, equip you to tell your story. So oh. to to tell it, to share it, to speak it, to write it. And that's something Davey and I are really passionate about. We've yeah. talked about a lot. And so we are, we are, I am thrilled for the opportunity to get to equip you if that's something you're excited about. And let me, let me actually do a quick plug, Davey, yes, because do. I do think if every single one of us, we may feel like we don't have a story, but the reality is you do. Like God right. loves you and has given you a story. And there are people, it, there are neighbors, there are family members, there are friends, there are people online that need to hear what God has done in you yeah. and through you, especially as part of your pain, because they desperately need that hope. Mm. And so um, learning to story well is a way that you can be such a witness for the gospel. Yeah. And so I'm so excited. I'm so excited for that time, um, that time together. So like Davey said, go to nothingiswasted.com slash community and find out more. We also want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. And as always, we love to invite you to engage with us on social media. We are on Instagram at Nothing is Wasted Ministries, at Davey Blackburn, and at Obsamp. Next week, Davey, you are joined by Tracy McCombs, another yeah. really, really powerful story of loss and God showing yes. up. Yes. Well, let me let me just say this too about these two conversations we had, both Clarissa and Tracy. We recorded these a while ago, and both of them, the audio got corrupted. They were so good that we said, we've got to record these again. So we oh. went back on and had another conversation with them. Amazing. One of the reasons is because Tracy is in Germany. And so that was just trying to overcome all of the... You know, the distance of that and the technology wow. and that sort of deal. So I'm telling you, you're, you're not going to want to miss next, next week's conversation with Tracy McCombs. Go ahead and listen to a little clip from this conversation. Having lived through my own miscarriages, looking back, I just find it so amazing that a woman going through something like that, the thing that is on her mind is to apologize and I think so many women end up thinking it's their fault or placing blame on themselves when it is absolutely not their fault. And we just kind of have like this natural instinct to be like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Or, you know, what could I have done differently to, to change the outcome? And so I wanted to start with that because, you know, all women kind of walk into this experience thinking this is going to be great. Like, this is going to be amazing. But that is not the case for all women. Like, one in four women will experience miscarriage. One in eight women will experience infertility.